Now listen here, man cub. In honor of The Jungle Book, what's your favorite talking animal from cinema? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Doug the dog from Up because he's hiding under your porch because he loves you. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, Steve, the monkey who talks through a speaking spell from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Bernard from The Rescuers. I really enjoyed Bob Newhart's meek hero. Something about me and meek people really went together when I was a kid. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and while there are so many different Fox-related answers I feel like I could go with uh, here, I am instead going to go in a wolfier direction, uh, even if it's a bit of a cheat, and go with uh, Gillian Anderson's English-language dub of uh, the voice of the wolf goddess Moro <laughs> in Princess Mononoke. Something I thought about during the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah, when we they are ready for the live-action Princess Mononoke. Characters. Throwing away those characters <laughs> to the wolves. Can't believe no one chose Uggy. Uggy didn't talk. Ugh. Did he? Doesn't no. Uggy have, like, oh. subtitles, though? Maybe. Like, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. Podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 114 for Tuesday, April 12th, 2016. Guess what happened on this day in 1992, guys? What? Euro Disney opened. I went to Euro Disney that year. The day what? it opened? I've been you to Euro Disney. went all the way to Europe and went to Euro Disney? I, yeah. was, I went to Europe for the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. And wow. I spent a long time there. And I recall going to Euro Disney that summer. Oh, oh. oh, that was earlier wow. than me. I went during my college years and got kicked out of the Swiss Family Robinson house for smoking <laughs> at the top level. It's France. In You're Euro supposed Disney? to be able to smoke well, I, was I think it might have been because I didn't have a kid so with me. I wasn't smoking. Do they, <laughs> do they still call it Swiss Family Robinson in, in France? Yeah, well, it's at least still Swiss Family Robinson in France. I think the Disneyland version is now like the Tarzan Jungle House, which is not my childhood. So thanks, it's Euro Disney, called, for uh, preserving that. Bree wow. Family Robinson. Lots of memories get of it? this day in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get started, I do believe we have a review or two to share this week. Take it away, David. Mr. Jeffrey Malone says, A review of Fighting in the War Room, written on April 3rd, 2016. For as much of a movie buff as I am, I never used to think I needed to listen to a general cinematic podcast. What a fool I was! I first found my way here by way of being a fan of Griffin Newman and David Sims. Their blank oh check podcast featuring the Fighting in the War Room host as guests. So I figured I'd give it a try. I had read some of these people's articles and I had been watching David's end of the year montages. So I felt as safe as I dipped my toes. I was immediately gifted with opinions that I could excitedly agree or disagree with. As for each of the hosts, sometimes David's misanth- mis- misanthropy rubs me the wrong way. But he strikes me as someone I could easily have an hour-long conversation with if I met him in person. I love how Dave Seven is so nonchalant about how he spells his name with a seven. Patches has a really great radio <laughs> voice and unheralded quality these days. Katie has strong moderating instincts. A podcast mm. as busy as this one needs someone with the ability to corral conversations as she does. Thank you, Jeffrey Malone. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Blank Check, for uh, having enough of us on to get a new listener. And uh, real quick, from Pissed Tower Owner, 
F billions. Why waste your time with Paul Giamatti getting peed on? It's a good question. It's a good question. Five, Five stars. Points. Is that the whole that review? The oh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm sad to report that maybe because the Billions finale was this past weekend, I believe. Uh, Billions podcast has shot past us, and uh. it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to everyone who listens to this show. It's an embarrassment to anyone who hasn't left a review. Just saying. To all billionaires. I'm not going to name names because I have absolutely no idea who I'd name. But everyone should get out there and leave some reviews because we got to put I'm billions start to the rest. Trillions podcast. Fucking bury those people. <laughs> <laughs> Although meditating on billions, I'm like, we were doing some impressions last week, and I didn't know if anyone had a Paul Giamatti. I was trying to think of what a Paul no. Giamatti. What's Paul Giamatti's like legacy line from his career? Is it? Drinking uh-huh. Merlot? Yeah, it's definitely the Merlot. There's yeah, no question. I won't drink Although I also but can you do it as Paul Giamatti? I thought David might have but a Giamatti. But I think that, like, him. also Pig Vomit from Private Parts is high up there for me. A deep cut. Uh, but It is a deep Giamatti yeah, cut. I mean, I, I'm, he has about eight classic lines in, uh, what's, oh, not Agent Cody Banks. What's the other one with Frankie Muniz? Very the Amazing uh, Spider-Man 2. <laughs> the Rhino! I know. Hey, now. There's got to be some classic lines in John I can't Adams believe we're never going to see the Rhino fight. That's <laughs> so sad. That's what's eating away at you yeah. every night. Like, uh, like Dylan Baker's Lizard. There's all these Let's uh, kick like start legacy. a Mark Webb <laughs> to make animatics of the Rhino fight. That's how the Deadpool movie happened. You never know. <laughs> you know, this wish could come true, and you'll be slapping yourself I, later. I yeah, you'll have made this Drowning happen. Drowning in superhero King movies. Of sick of superheroes. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, leave us a review, please. We will be very happy about it, and then we'll get off on a tangent talking about Paul Giamatti, probably. We're, we're so desperate to have um, reviews that Katie has resorted to making new people who can review our podcast for us. That's right. I'm gonna. I, it'll be a while before my child can uh, Listen, type. As soon an as that thing review, comes out, you will. can make it an iTunes account. Sign him up. <laughs> he's gonna give us. Uh, he's gonna give us five stars from yeah. the very beginning. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I wanna be a man, man cop, and stroll right into town. And be just like the other men. I'm tired of walking around. Oh. Last week in a movie called The Invitation came out that I swear to God was not on my radar at all. Although Dave will tell me in a minute why I was totally wrong for that. <laughs> um, and then over the weekend, I kept seeing tweets from people saying that it was incredible. And then at some point, I realized it was directed by Karen Kusama, who made uh, Girl Fight. And was her last film Jennifer's Body? Has she made a film since then? Uh, she's directed an episode of Billions, but, uh... Oh, whoa! <laughs> what? This yeah. is backfire. talk on this podcast. Um, yeah, Karen Kusama, uh, you know, for a while was one of the few female directors getting major films made. She had a big breakout with Girl Fight, and apparently the imitation was pretty terrific, and I haven't seen it. Uh, as we all well know, horror movies are not my jam usually, but, uh... I mean, Dave has made the case for it because, Dave, you saw this movie about a year ago. Yeah, at the Stanley Film Festival, which unfortunately is not being held this year, which is gross. I think we're going to lose, like, that festival to Portland or something. Like, you crazy people. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, I managed, this was the one that I managed to lure my horror film festival-hating girlfriend to uh, because it was a female director and that we had heard buzz going in that it was like really a cut above the rest uh so we we checked it out and i'm hesitant to give much more of a description than we got which is it's a movie about a 
couple who goes to a dinner party that's hosted by the uh, male half of that couple's uh, sort of ex-girlfriend that he hasn't seen in a long time. Ex-wife, I believe. Ex-wife. Ex-wife, probably. Yes, I believe that's for sure. But because they, they, they've had, they, after their falling out, she recoiled to, a, uh, to another man with a spirituality, and they found God together, and now they're having a house party, of course. That's yeah, what you and do so this house party is... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like a group of friends re-entering you know, contact with each other after spending some time apart, and we get to revisit like some dramas in their past and sort of figure out who these friends are. And like it's a you know kind of a pot boiler, I guess. There's a whole like sort of genre of horror movie that's sort of like the dinner party thriller, and it definitely feels like that uh, until it starts becoming something else. I don't necessarily want to ruin that because it's really fun. I think to watch this movie ratchet itself up and then eventually release, and whether or not it's uh, you find it predictable or not, I think uh, plays a lot into how the tension plays. Because I think it's a very masterfully directed horror movie so you're going to feel tension either way but uh it's there's if you do know this sort of uh kind of movie watching like the slow train wreck um happening uh really also amps up the tension and then it sort of ends with a question mark and an exclamation point i guess this is a good way to put it so like walking out of this movie you kind of want to discuss it with your your fellow victims of this experience. Uh, I believe I, found. I believe wow. that's the interrobang that you're referencing, right? The interrobang is the it yes. ends with an interrobang. Several. It ends with an interrobang. <laughs> that should be my pull quote. That's awesome. So is this the kind of movie that like deserved more attention that's been getting? Is it being buried in some way or is it like a best discovered like small gem? I think it's if it got something that was uh, like super overbuzzed, um, I think it might not be able to deliver on that. Because like I said, if you are familiar with this type of horror movie, uh, then you're going to be able to see a lot of the quote unquote twists coming just because it follows the rules of that type of movie. Um, but I think if people happen to discover it because it's on VOD and, you know, are willing to give it a shot because they like horror, they like, uh, you know, this particular director, that it's uh, super surprising and accessible even to people who don't necessarily like horror movies. Yeah, like my I girlfriend. Mean, there's no movie, there are very, very few movies that I would hesitate to say are VOD movies, meaning that they're preferable to watch a VOD rather than seeing in theaters. This is not one of them. I think if given the choice, I would... Definitely rather see this movie in theaters, but I saw this on a link at my laptop a year ago, um, and it played just fine. I do think that it's... Ideal view. Exactly. Now, I do think that this is the kind of movie that, um, while you may rather see it in theaters, uh, would, especially if you were watching with one or two other people in like an intimate setting at home, turn on the lights, uh, it could be really effective uh, at your on your couch. Um, what happens if you invite people over to your house who haven't seen it in a long time and then show them this movie? <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a fun movie. I mean, I I really wasn't blown away by it to be honest. Uh, I'm with you yeah. actually. I'm, I would like to deflate the tire just a little bit because I think this is a spooky movie, and I, uh, I wasn't guessing the end as you mentioned, Dave. Like, if you see enough of these movies, will you know everywhere it goes? Not necessarily. There's a lot of tension on the table. I like the main performance, Logan Marshall Green, aka Tom Hardy too. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He he brings a lot to the table. Just emotionally, there's some undercurrents of. of you know, past relationships, what was lost in this uh, 
this coupling before they had the falling out, and that's pretty heavy stuff, meaty stuff. I just don't think you, you say that it's kind of masterfully directed. And I've seen a lot of profiles on uh, Karen Kusama for this movie, kind of a return to form or uh, a chance for her to be herself and not be part of the corporate world, the studio world. Because, you know, she made Aeon Flux. Uh, and Jennifer's Body is very good, kind of misunderstood, mismarketed movie, perhaps. But Aeon Flux was a huge flop. Um, and here's her bouncing back. But I'm not. I'm not necessarily. I, I think Girlfriend is this, an extraordinary movie. But this movie is pretty straightforward. This script just in terms really is direction. Particularly interesting. I mean, I think that like her direction yeah. is strong. She she milks a lot out of this one uh, dimly lit environment um, and sort of creates. It's a not. World no, it's that, not like Martha Marcy May Marlene, where you could cut the the kind of mood and atmosphere with a knife and like what is going on with this kind of creepy setting and who are all these people and what's really behind yeah, every of, shot glance. A lot of this stuff is pretty not labored, like um, not especially clever. Uh, I, I, it builds and builds and builds then releases. I didn't feel like the release was particularly satisfying. I think it's a fine movie. It's a, it's a well done film. Uh, I don't regret having seen it, um, but I think that it's getting a <laughs> uh, release that, that it deserves. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I, I like think it's. Kind of- I think it's getting a lot of praise because we want to see Karen Kusama bounce back. She's a, an interesting voice. She can direct the hell out of a movie. Um, this might not be the best script, but she's going to make it interesting. Just about how she's staging this action and how we, she takes us into the head of this main character. She is an interesting voice that we people obviously want more of based on the amount of media coverage she's gotten with her so-called return or whatever. But, um, you know, she's doing just fine. She's directed a lot of television, and this seems more of an extension of doing, you know, episodes of Billions or episodes of Casual on Hulu, Halt and Catch Fire, uh, more of that than perhaps and taking her back to the girl fight world a little bit. But uh, I don't know if, you know, this is a second coming. This is an amazing movie by an important filmmaker, but it's someone I like watching, and it's it's tense, like Dave said. I mean, there's there's a lot of question. In Tara Banks. I would have loved Tara to have seen this at... Midnight at South by yes, um, which is when people really started going crazy for it. And well, honestly. I think that's where it premiered. Yeah, right at uh, South by. Yeah, last it did year. that, and then it also did really well at Fantastic Fest, at, like September last year. Well, so it course. played at a lot of places last year. <laughs> um, and... It did well at Fantastic Fest. Is never going to sell me on a movie, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think this could have been a really fun movie when you got an, an alcoholic milkshake in your hand. You don't really know anything about it, and it's midnight, and you're in Texas. And just sort of it's definitely a movie you want to show friends. You know, we kind of joked, like, what happens when you bring people over and show them this movie? That's actually, I would highly recommend that. Uh, I feel like I don't have enough movies that I really want to sit down and watch with a lot of people. But there's enough spookiness and just, you know, the, the presence of other people when you're drinking and talk, shooting the shit. And what comes out just through natural conversation. The, the ensemble here yeah, is very fun It's just, I just fun and natural. movies and, like this that, that show you their potential but don't reach for it necessarily. I mean, I think I, you could see the better movie that is under there and uh, it's a lot sharper and it has a few more drafts. Um, I just, there was a, there was a sort of, just a, a very sort of, I don't know, inert vibe to the whole thing. Of like, we all know this is spooky. We all know it's going to build to something um, that is not what it appears to be. Uh, and it's just about ratcheting up the tension until there, but, the, it didn't really do so in a way that I found particularly interesting, especially involved the characters. None of it really stuck with me. Um, but it's all, it's well done. I mean, the screws are turned tightly. It's, uh, it's, it's clever, and it 
like a lot of great indie movies these days, does a lot with a little, and it's very resourceful. It's working in just one house, and it creates a much larger world in the abstract beyond that. So kudos to, to them for that. It'll also give you great party ideas if you want to like hook up with your friends and do coke. The invitation yeah. is definitely. It also it has like <laughs> it has a like the most forgiving friends because there are so many like party ending moments. So they're like, no, no, it's cool. We'll just keep the party going. <laughs> so it's a good model for friendship, even though it ends in horror. Or... Yeah, yeah. Most of just it is a good your, model pick for the right friendship. friends. Yeah. Trick their friends, they will put up with anything. And drink lots of red wine. There's so much red wine in this movie. That's my favorite mm. part. Yeah, like Stoker. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about The People vs. O.J. Simpson, the television show, not the trial, uh, the trial of the television show, and I had not seen it at the time, and I had not seen it because, despite all the praise, uh, I have an aversion to anything with Ryan Murphy's name on it. But I now have a slightly longer commute than I used to, and suddenly uh, <laughs> need things to watch on the subway, and so one thing led to another, and there I was watching People for Sergio Simpson. You watch things on the subway. That's an inti- I don't want to open that can of worms, but we should. It's yeah, I, I buy things. I watch them on my phone on the subway, uh, particularly, you know, only TV. I, I don't really do it with movies. It's not a moral thing. I just don't really. Uh, <laughs> TV is a little bit more bite-sized. Um, this is what podcasts are for, I'm just going to say. Yeah, yeah but exactly. I need something to really occupy more, especially like 8 in the morning. It's just anyway. Um, I podcast are for going to bed. That's what I listen to when I go to bed. The... Uh, so the show, I was right to avoid it because of Ryan Murphy. I mean, it, it's a, you know, of course, it's a phenomenally interesting. How many episodes I've did you watch? Eight now of the ten. Nope. Um, okay. It's a phenomenally interesting trial, of course, uh, and, and it's. I'm very glad. Um, although, let's see how glad I still am once the ESPN documentary comes out. But I'm glad that someone is revisiting the story. I think that it's it's smart to see. Not only was this the trial of last century for all that it brought to the fore about American. Uh, sort of the racial breakdown in America and, and everything else that you can see that is uh, barely hidden, uh, if not on the surface of the show. Uh, but the way that all that stuff reverberates in the here and now, it's clear as a bell. Uh, it's very interesting. And just the twists and turns of this trial were, were such phenomenal drama when streamlined into the sort of format. You didn't have to watch it on live TV every day. Uh, and there are rich characters here and they're played by great actors. Um, and also John Travolta and Cuba Gooding Jr., and they're, um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, but it's a Ryan Murphy show. It, and, and to an extent, the trial was a Ryan Murphy show. I mean, like, the, it was schlocky. It was over the top. It was sort of ghoulish. And John Travolta's Robert Shapiro is nothing but ghoulish. Uh, but, and, and, and over the top. But it's, the show is so phenomenally unsubtle. I, and so much of it is so hacky and poorly directed. And just like eye roll inducing that I really feel so much of the time like, uh, I'm only being carried forward by what history has to offer this, which is so strong um, and really hard to fuck up in a certain way. And also, you know, Sarah Paulson does a great job. The guy who plays Darden, um, Sterling K. Brown. The, K. Brown does a great job. Uh, the, what um, uh, was the guy, the name of the guy who plays Johnny Cochran? Courtney, Courtney B. Vance. Vance, of course. Yeah, he 
uh, I like how the show starts with Cochran as sort of being a virtuous character and then uh, sort of takes it away from him piece by piece until where I am in the eighth episode. He is sort of on the bottom of the totem pole morally. Um, and I think all that stuff is interesting. I think the David Schwimmer's character of Robert Kardashian is such, he's not a human. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not just loyalty and blind loyalty. And, and maybe Robert Kardashian felt that way, but it's so unmotivated in the show. There's so little to ground it that it just feels like How the sort of... How do you it's blind loyalty? It's not blind loyalty. That's the whole point. No, it no, disintegrates. The whole point is that the scales are falling off of his Yeah. Head. Well, at, they're starting to where I am. He's, uh, but I've sat through seven plus hours now of him being like, juice, juice, juice. And it's, 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 uh, it's tough. It's, I, I, it's a huge mistake for them not to... I'm not sure I understand y- your qualms here. With My qualm. It seems like mostly the it's like the the bigness of the direction is what like the, the fact that it like it does like a lot of like zooms and like pans across the courtroom and like you know it doesn't have like dun 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 when it's like uh, focusing on the gloves. But it makes but the well. show is all about what it's dread and the reason the trial resonated I think so much in American history and also in the American populace at the time is because of what it dredged up from under the surface, what we couldn't see that it it brought to the fore. And how it, in ways that were very abstract and extrapolated far beyond this trial, helped us to sort of see America in a, in a different way. And Ryan Murphy, everything is just to eleven on this show. It's so ridiculous that it's. Like, I totally. I disagree. think that it um, sometimes, because of the nature of the trial and the grandstanding involved, it works. I think there's there's a lot about this show that works very well. Um, I think that the courtroom scenes are for the most part handled well. O.J. Simpson should not have been in the show, first of all. Like, that is uh, the, the biggest mistake the show never recovers from, is that the show needed to be around O.J. Um, O.J. is not a character. He's a guy who says, I'm not black, I'm O.J., and that's all there is to it. It's the be-all and all of it. We've spent hours with this guy in this flat performance with Cuba Gooding Jr. How can Jr. you say that when the early episodes... I mean, I'm not saying that Cuba Gooding Jr. is even close to the best performance on the show, but I really felt like the 405 chase i wanted to see oj and like what was actually going on there you're talking about not being able to you know it's only dredging these surface details and exploiting them in the biggest way possible totally disagree based on those insight 30 for 30 i mean like that's the actual i just think you're coming at this 30 isn't inside the car like nobody knows it yeah i can't see malcolm jamal warner playing the guy driving the car and watching this guy behind him with a gun to his head figuring out what to do like that nothing can that's what dramatization is for. And I think you're coming at this like a little high and mighty where you knew every aspect of the, of the race conversation uh, that was embroiled in this entire case. And you knew every, you know, dramatic arc of these characters as this trial was actually going down. Come on. No, not I'm true. not saying that at I all. I mean, I'm we need this to kind of so ripe for, wrap intimacy for, around it. Uh, digging deeper into it. But the show isn't really interested in that. It's really just about regurgitating <laughs> what it is that no we way. learned to find. No way. Um, no, I mean, I think, like, to say this not digging deeper into something like Marsha Clark's role as, like, a woman in this trial, like, there's so much going on in that. Or even and Johnny. Johnny Cochran as this conflicted hero. Yeah, really those bedroom scenes where he's, like, working through these problems. He He's sacrificing his own integrity to, to actually perpetuate a positive... Uh, you know, outcome for for the race conversation at As hand. I said, so, it's such a weird dichotomy. Uh, arc is interesting. Um, I <laughs> but this is the I whole show, this, I and, mean, and all that stuff is interesting. I just am very put off by the way it's handled. I think it's very surface, and I think that uh, it it Sorry. leans too much on how intrinsically interesting this stuff was. I think the chase is a perfect example. I think that um, we glean nothing by being inside that car by seeing him. 
uh, with a gun in the back seat, talking on the phone with the dispatcher. I mean, there's nothing that isn't there uh, in in what we already know the trial. Uh, and I think, yeah, as I said, I think there was a huge mistake to build the show around OJ. I think that Marsha and Johnny Cochran. And they don't build the all, show around OJ. It's shifting perspectives the entire time. Well, he is he is uh, sort of in the center of it, and um, I I think that whenever he comes on screen, my interest just deflates. Uh, and cause, he's actually he's not really on it after maybe the third episode. He's complete like in the first episode, he's around, but kind of off screen he because he's like been a, arrested. He becomes sort of a totem for the audience where it's like, you just cut to his face grimacing or smiling in the courtroom. And it's just like, it's essentially a music score telling you uh, if this was a win or a loss or his side and how he's feeling. And it's just, none of that stuff is, is interesting. The fate of one man is it's, it's just uh, as it was in real life, a microcosm of many more interesting things. And, um, I think the show is, but, that, but that's so that's where I totally drama. disagree with you. It's it's not the story of one man, and at no point in the show does it become one. I mean, it's so even-handed in the way that it's bouncing between the prosecution and the defense and and the families of the people that were lost. And then, wow, we get to go see like we get to be with the the jurors, or we get to be with Ito. Like how it's always bouncing Never, around and shifting perspective. Like I, mean, I, I think said, in quite Jim, an elegant way. Never chase fame. You don't want to be famous. That scene, I, I almost mean, yes, checked you know, out. That, no, oh, that yeah, scene yeah, is like... incredibly on the nose. Like there are definitely on the nose moments, but like you said, I think it fits with the vibe of the trial. I mean, like, what yeah. this thing was in pop culture. Uh, well, I, I think that you know, as I would be the first person to admit and admit at the start of the segment, um, a lot of this boils down to a natural version to Ryan Murphy, who I think is just. The uh, the opposite of good. <laughs> we wanted to give you our mini segment to to go against the grain. Uh, I, I think it's a good. I, it's a good it. show. I will see it through. Um, I just I just don't think that it's necessary. I, it, it it pulls interesting things out of the trial and out of this particular episode in history. I just uh, think that it often shoots itself in the foot or stabs itself in the neck repeatedly. It leaves a glove behind. Oh, um, come on. I. I, I uh, I just think that a lot of bad choices were made. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, I'll say this by way of wrapping up, I'm very much looking forward to the 10th and final episode because uh, Katie, I think it was, tweeted something about how, uh, I think it was Katie, that um, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s only decent moment in the show is when he's like revealed to be a total shitbag in the last episode. And I didn't tweet uh, that, someone, but I And I, I'm interested to see at this point what a good Cuba Gooding Jr. moment in the show looks like. Well, you're going to hate the last frame then because it's extremely operatic and uh, on the nose, but oh, in an awesome, and fulfilling way. Right, well, yeah, totally. More Listen, excited to I watch consider, I consider it a personal victory that we got David to watch it. At <laughs> I know, we killed yeah. yeah. him, such, or the world such did. influence over me. This week sees the release. There are a lot of movies coming out this week, quite honestly. Maybe there we, are. I, well, Jungle Book, we'll talk about that in our review. And maybe we'll talk Bunch about... Bunch of stuff from Toronto last year. Like what? Like uh, Colonia and Green Room and Sing Street. Oh, Colonia? Sing Street was at uh, Sundance. Colonia, is that Emma Watson? Emma Watson Jesus. escapes from a Chilean cult. 
uh, Green Room comes out. Maybe we'll talk about that in our review too. But there's uh, there's another a threequel coming out this weekend. I'll be I'm excited to see how it does. It is Barbershop. Actually, it's not called Barbershop Three. It's just called Barbershop: The Next Cut. Uh, and this is the the sequel to Barbershop Two: Back at Business, which uh, came out in 2004. So it's been a little while since we've wow, seen Twelve Years. 2005. Ice Cube. Yeah. 2005. So it's. 2004 no, Patches, says, Patches uh, is right. That, that was, but Beauty Shop came out in 2005, I believe. True, the spinoff. And then there was also a television show for a little while. Uh, yeah, so Beauty Shop spun it off, and then the TV show continued the antics. But now we're back. So yeah, uh, Barbershop The Next Cut stars Ice Cube as Calvin, the owner of this family barbershop in Chicago. Cedric the Entertainer is back. Uh, Regina Hall is here as, as a beauty shop. They've combined the barbershop and beauty shop in this, uh, oh, in the, no. in this installment. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't see beauty it. shop. I saw barbershop too. Yes. This is, like a, this is a full cinematic universe crossover. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah times it. are tough. So they've combined stores. And now, uh, so Eve is there. And Nicki Minaj is in the... Uh, in the store now, and JB Nicki Minaj Smoove. was not in Barbershop too. No, this is a, yeah. I don't know. Was she born when uh, <laughs> when these movies Barbershop came out? I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have a total as common is there. Common is the most charismatic, hilarious person. I think he's a total movie star. Um, and and this whole movie is so perfectly enjoyable. You know, I had seen the first two Barbershops, and you can watch them now on HBO Go or now if you, if you have those, uh, if you want to catch up. Um, but, you know, these are laid-back, shoot-the-shit comedies. Um, and I, I don't think I ever really thought of Barbershop or Barbershop 2 as kind of, like, great films. Um, they're just enjoyable comedies, and maybe Barbershop 2 took a bit of a step down. Barbershop The Night Cut kind of blew me away. I think it's an extremely funny movie, um, again, most of it just takes place in the shop and they're talking about nonsense. They're talking about their hair. They're talking about men and women and relationships and families and a lot of what's going on in Chicago. This movie is steeped in, you know, the Black Lives Matter conversation right outside their door. They're watching their own kids get shot at by gangs and they're trying to deal with these problems. And here's a, like, you don't see that in comedies. You don't see. Is it about, wait, is it about gangs or police brutality? It is, uh, it is really... But mostly it's way too soft and silly a movie to engage with Black Lives Matter directly. Or... Totally disagree. What? What? <laughs> I said I totally disagree. It totally it no, engages no. it head on. No, it doesn't. It, lever- it leverages black on black violence to talk about the fallacy that inner city communities can't uh, that are that they are helpless and can't uh, sort of improve and heal from within. Uh, somebody says Black Lives Matter once in like an eighty yard line off screen. But this is not Chirac. I mean, this is uh, this is the uh, if Chirac is sort of a punch to the gut, this is a a soft shove, uh, playful shove. Um, it's still, you know, well, that's, it, so it's that's very uh, it's a studio movie, but it is a studio movie to what Patches is saying, at least, even if we're splitting hairs about it's not really splitting hairs, but talking about what it's about. Uh, the first thing you hear or see in this movie is the sound of a police siren uh, before you even see a single frame of film. It is. Uh, a movie that this is a franchise that didn't need to be resurrected. It wasn't exactly a huge cash cow for WB. It was having diminishing returns with every release financially. Uh, they brought this back because, it, to me, and I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here, that the times really demanded it. They needed this forum to talk about these things in a way that could reach a broader audience than something like Chirac did. Um, and to that end, it's effective, even if it 
right. um, is ultimately not that much more perceptive or sharp than the gun episode of Family Matters. Uh, it is still, uh, but that's that's the thing. It's done in an intelligent way. Like, yeah, is it going soft on it? No, I don't think it's going soft on it. I think it's going mainstream with it. But when you're talking, when you're like invoking Michael Brown and you're having these conversations, but, you know, in in a comfortable family setting, you know, black people talking to black people about important issues that other movies don't get to talk about and make jokes in between, like kind of off-color jokes, weird jokes uh, about race and about sexuality. There's some stuff that would make, you know, the PC police totally cringe in the next cut is it a little currently it's it's very sitcom i'm trying to figure out how to uh as a as a white writer writing a review of barbershop how to write about Nicki minaj's ass in a way that that doesn't get me in trouble (laughs) you're not the first person to ask me what adjectives (laughs) yeah (laughs) although she describes herself as thick thick so you can go i mean not in like a lecture she calls herself that it's 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 you know there's a lot of Nicki Minaj butt jokes yeah. and Nicki Minaj breast jokes in this movie. Um, but that, so this is what I really liked about it. I just, I saw it in a tiny theater. Everyone was cracking up. I was too. And it just brought me a lot of comfort to get to see a movie like this that doesn't have to try so hard, but can still be really interesting and about interesting things. Well, that's things. what the barbershop like is all soft. about, that's right? what I, It's like a little pocket right, exactly. excuse from time where everything that happens outside is, the, the violence is on their block, but... Uh, no shooting in the barbershop, you know. But well, so, do we see this in other comedies? Like, are we is 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 Ice Cube taking advantage of something to be able to have a barbershop movie, or is this or taking we, advantage of like Black Lives Matter? Not necessarily Black Lives Matter, but just the position they're in playing to very specific audiences. Uh, you know, what, I mean, you're making me think of Steel Magnolias, which I, I have not seen a barbershop movie, so I, wait, wait. tell me if this is an unfair comparison, but it's a safe space of women getting together talking about serious women's issues in the context of a heartwarming comedy. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really healthy for our society to have these things. I mean, it would be a lot, you know, in a, in a perfect world, a movie like Chirac makes barbershop money, but it's not the world that we live in. Um, it, that's a lot more uh, of an eccentric particular film. This is for wider audiences, and I think it's uh, you know I think it's really healthy to have a movie like this that is funny and is uh, inviting. But do you- I mean, I wonder if I- I'd be curious to talk to someone who comes at it from a different perspective than we do, and to hear whether or not like they feel it's pandering. Like, is is what is lost from these stories when someone like you or I? Uh, who I'm willing to bet has not spent too much time in this sort of barbershop-like environment, uh, can get so many of the jokes, can feel like they're included. Like, yeah, it's great for us, but um, is are they sacrificing something by making it broader? Are, like, I, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. I'm just curious as to... Um, well, that is wait, the interesting position. Is this, is this broader than the other previous barbershops? No, I don't no, think yeah. so. In fact, I think it's narrower... Because it's about more relevant issues, I think. And the in first... a more specific direction, just a different recent Ice Cube comedy. Like, is it way more topical and like thoughtful than yes. Ride Along? Oh yes. Okay. Oh. Okay. Ride Along I mean, is garbage. Because like Ice Cube is like at this huge like not peak of popularity, but he's really popular. No, and, you know, it's so uh, kind of it's worth noting that um, to delve into my rich history of uh, of hip hop feuds that. <laughs> <laughs> Ice Cube and Common were huge enemies in the '90s. I mean, there was there was both of them were sort of at the heart of this uh, coastal 
rap war. And I think it's a more effective testament to the messages that the movie is preaching than any of the drama that actually happens in the movie that you have these two guys Come on. as adults working in a mm. what? You don't you don't think that it's uh not only not only is that built in, but that then they also get to reflect that. I mean yeah. I like the sitcominess of this Wait, movie. That's I'm, part I'm, of not, the joy. I'm, I'm saying this is a it's a positive. Right, but you're you're disqualifying the actual built-in drama, the script. No, I'm just saying that it's a, it's a strong testament to the themes of the movie and their credibility, the sincerity of those themes by having uh, the, the, it right. cast the way they are and the problems that those two characters have over the course of the movie um, and the peace that they're able to find and so on and so on. Um, I think that that is the layer that something like Chirac can't pose for itself if I'm trying to, to find ways that this movie is something to offer that, that doesn't... Yeah, what's interesting about you know, Chirac can be is a very shaggy movie. It takes a lot of risks and it's it sinks its teeth into certain topics and in a way that it's it's almost too violent, too ecstatic. It's just it, it loses track of itself. It's too focused on the issues at times, perhaps. Um, and but the sitcominess of Barbershop Three serves it so well. Like it's really just get in a room. We were talking about. On a review section the other day, everybody wants some, you know, Richard Linklater can get a bunch of white bros in a room and talking about stuff, and he can get away just having people talk and shoot the shit and be cool, Um, and maybe that rubs some people the wrong way, but it's going to be a very insular world, and it works for him, and he can hear that dialogue, put it on screen, make it work, and that's how I felt with Barbershop Next Cut, that... This is actually David. You kind of alluded to this. Like, am I invading in this? Am I like, is this movie for me at all? Should I be laughing along with this, or am I invading the movie's space? This movie is cut from a, a very a cut. Uh, the next cut, um, just a specific walk of life and Different conversations shave. that are somewhat foreign to me, but also totally relevant. We're all having these conversations together, and that's what I like. I like that it goes broad to bring everyone in i don't think it's that insular and i don't think um that it's that particular i suppose it's not the benefit of like sitcom movies is it's basically like somebody else's cheers that you guys get get to like peek in on but because of the nature of like a sitcom is like come back again to hang out in this place of comfort where like nothing's really going to be at jeopardy and at the end of the day like that's what was nice about the first two barbershop movies is they didn't need to have like gigantic plots to be enjoyable, you know, tiny comedies. It doesn't need to be a like weird, uh, like racially skewed tentpole. It just exists to be like a sitcom movie. Yeah, and it, it feels like we we see a lot of these like uh, uh, like coming. I feel like uh, coming to like Netflix and Hulu where their entire comedy shows. And like sitcoms that have followings that I just don't understand because they're just completely out of my wheelhouse. Wait, like what? Oh, there's like uh, Workaholics and Trailer Park Boys that are like. Well, have Trailer Park Boys is the huge one, right? It's on like season eight. Yeah. And I've like. Keep I've, me I've, getting I've, movies on Netflix. Yeah. I have like watched uh, like bits of it and it's just like not for me, but I could see it's for a large amount of people. And we just need to have like these sort of like middle of the ground uh, catch as many people as possible. And it's at least what I enjoyed about the first two barbershops were uh, just like how accessible they were without uh, pandering to be accessible. I don't know if this one succeeds in it, but uh, at least the 
that that's why this series always felt like interesting to me is yeah I somebody mean, like living in new york not part of this culture my main problem is that the movie feels a, a lot of the time it feels organic i mean like as i mentioned the first thing you see is or hear rather are these sirens but uh the way that it tries to grapple with this stuff dramatically particularly as it pertains to spy uh to to Ice Cube's son, his character, um, who, slowly entering the gang. Yeah, it's so world. Wait, is O'Shea Jackson Jr. No, in no, again? no, it's not his real son. Uh, it's Miss Opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I actually actually was thinking that I was like, why does he have to be fourteen? He'd be a little too old for. Yeah, him. but why does he have to be fourteen? I mean, I guess because they had the kid in the previous one, and the years have to add up. Sustained. Uh, I don't think I don't think the universe is yeah. that <laughs> here. I just think that's an important the time. The Reddit thread on that would have been out of. I suppose, <laughs> but um, uh, it's so clumsily integrated into the rest of the story. I mean, like that two occasions in the movie, they pause, like they just leave dramatic scenes in the middle of them, scenes that are working well to go and like now this kid's in high school and we're gonna watch him like get in a fight or something, and then they go back to the same scene they left and just carry on as nothing happened. It's very clear choice that was made in editing and it's just like it's so clumsy how they try to sandwich this all together that it almost makes me wish that i were watching a play rather than a movie that only took place in the barbershop uh because well, here's all the, the crazy thing that takes place in the barbershop works and the stuff that does that and whenever they leave the barbershop it doesn't work and also the movie's homophobic it's like really troublingly homophobic but i guess that'll be the next barbershop it's not troublingly homophobic. oh really it's confronting really? i think it's confronting homophobic uh, points of view that exist in, especially in like hip hop community. Uh, there's a difference between saying that there are homophobic points of view in the hip hop community and the gay panic that runs through this movie like wildfire. That that is, is outrageous. That's an outrageous way of no, not at all. Lamorne Morris from from New Girl, who's a guy I like a lot, of New Girl, and plays essentially. Uh, um, Winston in, in this movie. I mean, they definitely make fun of him. Maybe being gay. Yeah, and then just. Uh, I don't want to say what happens in the one of the last scenes of the movie, but um, they. I really came away from this movie thinking that like they're like all, all the whole movie is sort of about coming together and and having the same respect for other people you do for yourself, sharing the love. Unless you're gay, then fuck you, because we can just make fun that of is, you. That is that is completely I, that is absolutely the vibe I got from this movie, and they need to make another barbershop now in order for that to be the theme that they build it around. Not only is that not how it ends, it kind of flips it on the head. It's like. No one cares. The, the end joke is no one no, cares if you're gay or not. The end joke is I'm not gay, so it's okay. That is the. We're getting too specific here, but that is not. So are you saying not. the next barbershop is going to be set in a game? No, I think the next barbershop is. I mean, yeah, that could work, but also maybe just have a have uh, yeah, a third. I don't know something. I don't write the fucking barbershop moves, okay? <laughs> nor, nor would anyone ask me to. In my ideal America. I, I would not want to see that movie. <laughs> well, I, I, I did want to pull back and just kind of touch on something that David and Dave were saying um, about not pandering, but kind of getting lost in mythology in some way. I like that Ice Cube seems he's, he's out of control of this fictional universe. I was thinking about Straight Outta Compton a lot during Barbershop, the next cut. And I think Barbershop is even more successful in talking about race in America than straight out of Compton um, because wow. Ice Cube's not self-mythologizing at the same time. Um, and here is just, 
we're slip, slipping back into these characters who've lived on and and you know the kind of prelude to the action of this movie is catching us up with over the years and these characters and who they've married and the kids that they've had and this life that's gone on and this real life America that's progressed and like here we are and this is immediate and he can't control the destinies of these characters in a weird way even though they're fictional obviously he is pulling all the strings and he decides where it's all going to end up but because it is sitcom-y it can have a more fulfilling and more realistic and more frightening there's some just really scary stuff about kids getting shot in this movie that really struck me and it feels because it doesn't have to adhere to history and then both you know kind of fulfill whatever Ice Cube wanted to do with Straight Outta Compton look like a hero um Barbershop is in its own universe and one that's our own. I actually think Straight Outta Compton seems more removed from reality than this movie. And that's why I really liked it. And kind of speaking to what David said about it being a play, I, I thought a lot about August Wilson when I was watching this movie. And I'm just like, I've seen this man's plays and this is what I love about them. This very specific dialogue and just shooting the shit and talking nonsense and like talking haircuts for a while. This is really enjoyable. And I, you totally understand why they made it into a television show. Um, and I guess... I came away from the whole thing being like, will everyone see this movie? Will everyone see this movie? Or would you even have thought about seeing this movie? Any of you? Um, I haven't seen the previous two, so I don't think this would be the place to start. It's, it's totally I'm... a fine place to start. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... Anyone can see this movie. Yeah. Anyone can. Definitely. I don't know. I mean, you guys made me more interested in it. Like, for the most part, it seemed like a comedy that was not for me, as we've discussed previously. But if it's got as much interesting stuff going on in it, as you say, and it's actually funny, like, why not? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, before the podcast, we were talking about how I had not, like, we don't get invited to, quote unquote, black films. Let's put it out there. Uh, I And I chase this. Sometimes. Movie. Or often enough. Like, not, we not never get invited time. to Tyler Perry's movies, ever. Oh, I And I've seen them in theaters. Like, I that's how I saw them. I've seen Tyler Perry movies. But well, I, I was happy. Sometimes, Sometimes they, do. they do. But there's, um, yeah, there's just a consistency where we, certain, uh, certain journalists get selected to see certain movies. You know, there was a movie called Meet the Blacks last weekend that made $2 million. Are you familiar with it? Any of you? No. I, I am familiar with it. No, I did not see it. <laughs> uh, Mike Epps stars. Uh, our colleague Jordan Hoffman reviewed it for The Guardian. Thought it was very, very funny. Um, had not, I was not on my radar at all. Wasn't invited to see it, and I just think that's kind of a travesty in some way that the studios behind these movies are very selective over who sees them, so that they can direct coverage to the people who should see them, and everyone should be seeing or, all these movies. Or like to, you know, I, I don't know where this cycle started because was it that they. Um, you know, screenings are expensive. Book in the Rooms is expensive. Uh, was it simply that they used to screen these movies and movies like them for uh, all sorts of critics and then certain swaths of critics, white ones in particular, weren't going to cover these movies because they clearly I could believe to that. certain audiences. And so the studios just said, well, they're not covering them, so why are we screening them for them? Yeah, I, I could totally believe that. Something happened along the way and it all got shook up. And I'm, I'm hoping that... I think Malcolm D. Lee, who directed this movie, and he directed Best Man Holiday. Um, Which I saw at a press screening yes, and liked. me too. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think he's a, a sharp director. He did Undercover Brother. Oh, that's uh, he a did funny Scary movie. movie 4, which is unfortunate, but uh, we'll forgive him. Um, Soul Men with Samuel Jackson. He, he's like, he has a knack for this stuff. He, he can 
shoot comedy. He can shoot drama. He can mix and, and play around with that stuff. And I think uh, Barbershop, the next uh, cut, is is a perfect example of, of what he could do. And when we're thinking about all sorts of different directors who could be doing all sorts of different material, I hope Malcolm D. Lee gets, a, gets more shots to do all sorts of different type of movies in the future. And Barbershop, the next cut. See it. Well, he's making, uh, <laughs> according to his IMDb, he's making The Best Man Wedding. So uh, he's got a pretty lucrative career he's got some franchises yeah i have no idea if next cut will make money if there will be a fourth barbershop but maybe maybe this can be his uh his his before i think it'll make more money than beauty shop did but it won't be difficult (laughs) (laughs) that does it for today's fighting in the war room we'll be back on friday talking about the jungle book and the bare necessities of life. And maybe bare necessities of storytelling. Am I right, Patches? Uh, in the meantime, tell people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. I have not slept for 24 hours, so I'm sorry for babbling even more than usual <laughs> on this episode. Uh, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can answer the lightning round question, you can leave comments, share our episodes, do anything. Go ape. Wild? No, that's not. Hog Wild? Ape? I don't fuck it. Big away, Wild. Fighting in the Worm. Back up. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the film critic of IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. Uh, and you can find all of us together on Facebook. Facebook. Fighting in the War Room. Facebook. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm done. Sorry. I thought it was only one pause. You have like a whole stick, and I was. I was yeah, sometimes you have to throw in a little show me all the blueprints. You can't, you can't stop me. You can't hold me down. That's a good point. That's a good point. This is just like Barbershop 3. It's unpredictable. This is why people listen to these credits mm-hmm. every week. Um, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first name DA70. I write at oh, places that I can't remember right now. Geek.com and Latino-Review.com. Uh, we also have a whole bunch of podcasts that we host at FightingInTheWarroom.com about other things. It's one about Star Wars. It's one about comic books. And then there's, of course, our one about Game of Thrones. Uh, we have an episode of each one of those coming out, I think, before the end of the month if we stick to our schedule. So by all means, check those out. They're going to be great for lots of reasons. And uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com. Do my usual thing. And on Twitter, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, which is where we'll talk to each other and you and talk about this week's lightning round question, which you should answer. What was it? In honor of The Jungle Book, what's your favorite talking animal from cinema? Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Oh, la, la, me, go, was it? 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 Oh, la, la, me,